Amen. Amen. That's good, ain't it? He knows everything there is to know about us, but he still loves us. Amen. Still died on the cross for us so that we could be saved. Thank you so much. All right. Good. All right. How many of you got your Bible now? Colossians chapter 1. All right. Let's pray, and then we'll jump right into the message this morning. Father, bless your word. Speak to our hearts today. Thank you for all the good music and the singing we've heard this morning. Thank you for the truth that has been presented to us, that you are alive. And because of that, it assures us we can find hope and help is available to us today. So bless your word. Help me this morning as I try to preach. Not, don't bless my word, but please bless your word. Lord, your word is what gets the job done. Help us, I pray. Spirit of God, have liberty and freedom to work in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want you to look this way, if you will. i got a question for you that I want to start with this morning. My question is this. How are you going to heaven? How are you going to heaven? Now, the answer, you may say, well, preacher, uh, I've received the Lord Jesus as my Savior, and I'm trusting Him to get me to heaven. And that's a great answer, but that's not the answer to my question. Because my question this morning is not who is, is going to take you to heaven, but my question is how are you going to heaven? As I understand it, I'm not a fan of old westerns, but as I understand it, back in the days of the old west, traveling, you know, when traveling was basically done by, by stagecoach, when someone purchased a ticket to ride on the stagecoach, they could either purchase a first, second, or third class ticket. And they had the option to choose how they wanted to ride. Now, if you chose a first class ticket, what that meant was you could ride the entire length of the journey because you were a first class passenger. If you were a second class passenger and you chose to buy a second class ticket, if the stagecoach came to a mountain or a hill, a steep hill, or became stuck in the mud, as a second-class passenger, you had to get out and walk beside of the stagecoach up the hill till it got out of the mud or topped the hill, as the case may be. If you were a third-class passenger and you chose a third-class ticket, then if the stagecoach became stuck or else had to climb a steep hill, you had to get out of the stagecoach and not only walk beside of the stagecoach, you had to get behind it and push it if you were a third-class passenger. Reminds me sometimes of when I fly on an airline, I have never been a first-class passenger on the airline. Does that not make you mad when you stand there and they say, all right, now the first-class passengers and all of our gold members may board at this time. And they get on there and their seats are about this wide. And I'm always stuck in the back section of the plane with a seat about this wide with two 500-pound men sitting on either side of me, pressing me together like a bowl of jello. And that's how I ride most places. Well, I want to tell you something. I'm asking you again, how? Not who, but how are you going to heaven? Now, I think everybody in here will probably agree with me, maybe an exception or two, but will agree with me when I say that we believe there's only one way to get to heaven. There's only one Savior, one mediator who can get us in to heaven. I don't think too many people in here would disagree with me about that. We know that Jesus is the only way to heaven. 
Jesus is just not a way to heaven. He's not one of many ways to heaven. He's not a good way to heaven. And Jesus is not even the best way to heaven. Jesus is the only way to heaven. And if you don't come through him, then you are not going. Now, there may be somebody sitting here this morning and say, Preacher, you know, that sounds a little bit narrow to me. You mean to tell me that anybody that don't have Jesus in their heart is not going to heaven? What about the Buddhists? What about the Muslim? What about uh, people of other uh, beliefs and religion? That's pretty narrow to you, for you to make that statement. Well, my answer to that is this. Truth is always narrow. It is always narrow. There's no wiggle room in truth. There's no flexibility. There's no leeway with, when it comes to truth. Here's the truth. One plus one is two. That's truth. You say, well, I happen to believe that one plus one is two and one-sixteenths, or two and one-eighths. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you say, but preacher, I, I sincerely believe that. Then you, according to mathematical facts, are sincerely wrong because one plus one equals two. And the same is true about heaven. According to the Bible, there's only one way to heaven, and that way is through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, uh, let, let me show you this. Jesus said this about himself. John chapter 10 and verse 9, I am the door. Jesus said this, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, say the next four words with me, he shall be saved. So Jesus said, if you want to go to heaven, I'm the door. And if you want to be saved, you've got to come through me. And if you come through me, then if you'll live for me, you can go in and out and find pasture. And then Jesus went on to say this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, is the, is, a, is the same as a thief and a robber. So Jesus said, There's one way you can get in, and I am that door that will get you in. And if you try to go around that door, climb over the wall, any other way, Jesus said, You're the same as a thief and a robber. Now, again, again, how are you going to heaven? Not who, but how. Well, I want you with that thought in mind this morning, let me read you three words. Look at uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. And the three words that I want to read to you is found kind of toward the end of the verse which says this, Christ in you. Christ in you. How many of you got that now? Christ in you. Now, from that, those three words, I want to give you three truths this morning, all right, about that thought, Christ in you. How are you going to heaven? First class, second class, third class, as the case may be? How are you going to go to heaven? Well, the Bible said, Christ in you. Let's look at three things. First of all, number one, let's talk about this. Christ in you his presence. Christ in you, His presence. Now, watch this. Stay with me. I know you're confused right now because I, I, I'll just be honest with you, I'm a little bit confused about this myself. Okay? So with that being said, let me tell you this. You know, according to the Bible, that once we get saved, we get in Christ. In Christ. In other words, when God saves us by His amazing grace, when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ, God takes us and places us in Christ 
Jesus. That's one of the favorite statements of the Apostle Paul in the 14 of the 27 New Testament books he wrote, if you count the book of Hebrews. 62 times he used that phrase, in Christ. Now let me stop and tell you this. Before we got saved, we were not in Christ. We were out of Christ. But when we trusted Him for our salvation, we were placed, spiritually speaking, positionally speaking, God picked us up out of the family of the devil, picked us up, and placed us in Christ. Now, if you doubt that, look over in chapter 1, same chapter, look at verse 1. Here's what the Bible said. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother. So they, they're introducing themselves. They come to verse 2, and they say this, to the saints and faithful brethren. Now read the next two words with me. In Christ. In Christ. To the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ. And then notice he said this, which are at Coloss. Now literally, have you ever made the statement before, I can't be in two places at one time. If you're a parent with kids and you're trying to run one to a, to a piano rehearsal and you're trying to get the other one to Little League baseball practice or whatever, or you're trying to get one to this friend's house and you've got to carry this one over to the mall, and you just with frustration say, I can't be two places at one time. Can I tell you something? Every born-again believer in this room today, right now, is in two places at one time. Physically speaking, geographically speaking, I am in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. But, bless, but, but, but spiritually speaking, and, and blessedly speaking, I am in Christ as a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. And everybody in this room is the same way. By the way, to be in Winston-Salem, Paul said, I'm writing to these believers, and they're at Coloss, but they're in Christ. I'm at Winston-Salem, but I'm in Christ Jesus. I'll tell you what, to be at Winston-Salem is a bad place. Do you watch the news this morning? Did you see what all took place in our city in just the last uh, 24, 48 hours? These little children that had been shot here in the city of Winston-Salem just through yesterday, just a random act of violence, some drive-by shooting, a bunch of thugs in a car with a gun, took some shots out of the window, hit a little five-year-old boy in the head, killed him just like that. And then that other little child that was shot maybe over in Green. I'm telling you, to be in this place is a bad place. To be in Winston-Salem is a bad place. Yes, sir. I asked one of our officers the other day. I think I asked them at a at homecoming. They were sitting there eating, and I asked them, I said, hey, do you ever watch live PD? And he looked at me, and he said, I live live PD. <laughs> Can I tell you something, friend? To live in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, is to be in a bad place. But to be saved by the grace of God and to be in Christ is a blessed position. I might be in a bad place, but hallelujah, when I got saved by the grace of God, I became in Christ Jesus. And every believer in this room today that is saved is in Christ. You say, preacher, what's that like? I'll tell you what. To be in Christ means to be just what it was for Noah, to be in the ark. Amen. 
The waters of judgment were on the outside, pounding against that ark, but safe and secure on the inside was Noah and his family because they walked through the door and they went inside the ark and God shut the door behind them. And while they were in that ark, they were saved from the waters of judgment on the outside. I'm telling you, friend, to be in Christ means you're saved from the judgment, the wrath of God that's getting ready to fall on this world. To be in Christ means you're in a good place, friend. So it is true that once we get saved that God places us in Christ. But now, listen to this. It's also true that once we get saved, that Christ is in us. That's what our text says. Look again at verse 27. Christ in you. You see, one of the most blessed truths of the Word of God is, is, that we find is that when we receive the Lord Jesus in our hearts, Jesus gives us His presence in our lives. Let me say it like this. He takes up His abode. He comes to live on the inside of us. Jesus occupies our hearts. That's what Paul was saying when he said, This Christ in you. Boy, I'm glad that I am in Christ, but I'm glad that Christ is in me. Amen. And by the way, because He's in me, it guarantees me that I'm going to heaven someday. You say, preacher, I doubt that. Now, look again at verse 27. Let me finish reading the verse. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, let me tell you something. That word hope, we, we don't understand the Bible meaning of the word hope. There's a verse over in Romans chapter 8 that says this, we're saved by hope. Now, somebody said, uh, man, I'll tell you what, I hope I'm saved. I hope I'm going to heaven. I hope that when life is over, they'll accept me into heaven. Well, friend, I'll tell you something. You need more than a hope so. Can I tell you something what the word hope means in the Bible? You know, we use it like this. Well, I hope it don't rain today. Well, I hope those storms miss us. Well, I hope he's through by 11.05. Well, I hope this doesn't happen. I hope I make it back home safely. That means we don't really know for sure, but we're, we're thinking that it might work out to be like that. But let me tell you something. In the Bible, the word hope doesn't mean something that we think or, 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 or might happen. Can I tell you what the word hope means? It means a guaranteed assurance. And if you'll read this like this, look again, Christ in you, the guarantee of glory. Amen. Hey, when you got saved by the grace of God, not only did God pick you up and put you in Christ, what a wonderful place that is, but thank God the Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ also moved in you, and he's our guarantee of glory. Amen. He is the, the Lord of glory. By the way, can I tell you this, going back to that word hope? You know, we use it again as well. We hope it doesn't rain, but can I tell you something? You know what? Jesus in the Bible is called our blessed hope. Look at Titus 2, verse 13. The Bible said, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. I'm not sitting here this morning saying, I hope Jesus comes back. Now, no, sir, I've got the guaranteed assurance of the Word of God that someday Jesus is going to come again. And, brother, I want to tell you something. That same guaranteed assurance that I've got that Jesus is coming again, when Jesus moved into my heart, i got the guarantee that at the end of life, glory is waiting for me. Christ, Christ in you. He isn't saying, hey, he isn't saying, well, we hope you make it to glory. 
Christ is the guaranteed assurance that we are on our way to glory. So let me just say it like this. Christ in you, presence. But that's a problem. And the problem is this. All that many people have is the presence of Christ in their life. That's all they have. For instance, I know I'm speaking to people in this room this morning and you have given your heart to Jesus. Maybe years ago, you made the decision to trust the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior of your life. And maybe for a while, maybe you even live for the Lord. But then through the process of time, you begin to drift. And, and because of, of the pull and the tug of the world and, and the battling of the adversary, our, uh, Satan, and, and because of uh, some selfish desires, you begin to drift away from God just a little bit, and even though Christ is in you, all you got is His presence. That's it. Christ is in you, but you've, you've allowed so many other things to become on top of it. And it's almost like He's not even there anymore. In fact, maybe some of you are sitting here this morning, and maybe you say, Preacher, well, you know, there was a time I really thought I was saved, but now I've, I've really got some doubts. Maybe the problem is all you did was receive Christ in your heart and then you let so many other things start getting piled on his life, uh, on top of it. For instance, let's just say, I don't, this is a magnifying glass. I don't know what it's doing up here, but here's a magnifying Let's say that's the Lord Jesus. And let's say this pulpit is your heart right here. So there came a glad day in your life when you received the Lord Jesus into your heart and not only did you get in Christ, but Christ got in you. And now he's in your heart. But then through the process of time, you just start letting so many other things just come in your life. And I mean, man, there's just so many other things just piled up, all the troubles. And then you started living for, for self and even maybe started going back out and drinking. And, and first thing you know, he's doing some little bit of this and a little bit of that. And somebody said, hey, are you saved? Well, I, I, I think so. Yeah, you know, I, I really thought at the time I was saved. So I said, well, was Jesus in your heart? You say, well, yeah. I mean, he's somewhere. I mean, I, 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 thought, he, I thought he was. Oh, yeah, 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 he's here. Only problem is he's just buried under so much other junk in your life. It's almost like he's not there now. His presence is there, but he's so grieved and he's so bound and he's so confined, and he's so covered over. And his presence is there, but it's almost like it isn't there. Because all you got is his presence. Christ in you, presence. But now let's take this step further. I want you to see a second thing. Not only Christ in you, his presence, but I want you to see secondly this. Christ in you, his prominence. You see, some people, some people in this room, I would call these the second-class travelers. The first, the uh, third-class travelers, all they got is the presence. But the second-class travelers, they, they take it a step further because they got prominence. They give Christ prominence in their life. While there are some who only have his presence, there are others who maybe move on and they give the Lord Jesus a, a little bit of a higher place in their life, a little bit more a better place of importance, a notable place, a higher place in their life. Jesus has now become a relevant part of their lives. And by the way, this is where most of us 
are at today. We are saved. We have His presence in our life. The only problem is, many times, we have a take-it-or-leave-it attitude toward the things of God. I want to say that one more time because here's the problem. Many of us have a take-it-or-leave-it attitude when it comes to our relationship with God. Well, if I have any time, I'll read my Bible today. If I have any time, I'll, I'll, I'll pray and talk with the Lord today. And preacher, hey, preach. Hey, old preach, let me tell you something. Listen, man, if we don't travel too long on the parkway after church today, I'll be back at church tonight. That's a prominent place. That's a place of prominence in our life. Oh, you're here at church today. I'm so glad you're here. But you know something, the truth of the matter is, all we're doing is just going through the religious motions of the Christian life because Christ is nothing more than just a prominent part of our lives. He is right up there on the list of what is important to us, right up there with our jobs and our hobbies and our friends and even our own selfish desires. Hey, preacher, let me tell you this. Give me some credit. At least Jesus made the top five list of my life. That's prominence. That's prominence. And that's the problem with modern-day Christianity. We not only have His presence, we've taken a step further, but we've only given to Him prominence. You see, in the same chapter, in the same chapter, Paul starts praying. Look over at verse number 9. Paul's praying for these believers now. And he's praying for them. And I couldn't help but notice in this prayer, look at verse 9, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and desire that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. And then notice how many times the word all is used. It might be uh, knowledge of His will in all wisdom. Verse 10, that you might wor uh, walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Verse 11, strengthen with all might, according to glorious power unto all pay. You know what Paul is just saying? Hey, Paul is saying, look, man, I just don't want you to be the average Christian. I don't want you just to have Christ prominent in your life. Paul said, I'm praying for you. I want you to know there's so much more that God wants to do in your life than just take you to heaven. God wants to work in your life, and God wants to use you for His glory while you're down here on this earth. And you can't do that if all you've got is Him present or prominent. He's in the list, the top. He made the top five, preacher, Preacher, he's in the top seven. That's where most of us are at today. He's in the top five. Uh, yeah, job, family, hobbies, uh, hobbies. Uh, you know, really, my my ambitions and uh, and and uh, and uh, and money. Oh, he's in the top five, preacher. What you sweating? Why are you fussing at me for? He's in the top five. He don't want to make the top five. He just don't want to be prominent. No, sir. And Paul said, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, I'm so glad you got saved, but I'm praying for you. Look at verse number 9 and 10 and 5. Notice what he was praying for. Number one, he was praying for them to be spiritual. Look at verse, verse number 9. Paul said, since the day we heard of it, that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Paul said, hey, I'm praying for you that you'll be spirit, spiritual minded. You know what that simply means? That means to be motivated by what pleases and honors the Lord. You're not motivated. You don't live life on the basis of your own selfish desires. It's not what I want, but it's what God wants. And Paul said, I'm praying for you that you'll be spiritual. How spiritual are you? How spiritual 
are you? Paul said, I'm praying for you to be spiritual. Look again at verse 10. I'm praying for you to be fruitful. Look again at verse 10. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. Paul said, hey, I not only want you to be spiritual, but if you're spiritual, you'll be fruitful. You'll be, uh, you'll be glorifying the Lord. You'll be producing the kind of works in your life that are causing others and encouraging others to become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm praying for you to be spiritual. How spiritual are you? I'm praying for you to be fruitful. How fruitful are you? Then he said this, I'm praying for you to be joyful. Look again at verse 11. Strengthen with all might, according to his glorious power, and all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. You know something? I have told you this before, but I think it bears repeating again. I've never seen a time when there were so many miserable Christians. I've never seen a time when the word misery and not the word joy is the chief characteristic of the lives of most of God's people. If you don't believe that, Come up here and look, look at what I'm looking at this morning. Man, Paul said, hey, I'm praying for you. G just don't give Christ a prominent place in your life. Hey, be spiritual. Hey, hey, be spiritual. Be fruitful. Hey, be joyful. Well, I'll tell you what, all of us probably need a good old-fashioned dose of joy, don't we? Yes, sir. But as long as Christ is just prominent, there'll be no spirituality. There'll be, no, there'll be no fruitfulness. There'll be no joyfulness. But then look again at verse 12. Paul said, I'm praying for you to be thankful. Look at verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father which made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. To be thankful. You say, preacher, what in the world? You don't understand. I just come from a home, and it was fussing and fighting all the way to church. And I'm telling you, when I get home, it'll be fussing and fighting when I get back home again. What in the world do I have to be thankful for? I'm going to get up in the morning and go to a job where a boss man hates me. I'm going to work at a job that I hate. I'm going to come back home to a family that's filled with fussing and fighting tomorrow night. I'm telling you, preacher, what do I have to be thankful for? Look at verse 13 and 14. He said, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. You may tell you what we've got to be thankful for, that we have been saved by the grace of God. I, I'm not, that's just not a cliche. I heard about this preacher one night. He was up preaching, and he got to preaching on hell. And I mean, man, he was a preaching up a storm. And, and he got to preaching on hell, and the more he got to preaching on hell, the more he got to shouting. I mean, he'd preach a little bit and shout a little bit. After the service was over, somebody come up to him and said, Man, preacher, man, you're preaching on hell tonight. Well, I'll tell you, you're preaching it hot. But why in the world would you shouting about it? He said, Well, I got to thinking about the fact I didn't have to go there and couldn't help myself. Just started shouting about it. Can I tell you something, friend? I'll tell you what will get you out of the prominent state of the Christian life and move you on up to first class if we'll just be happy and grateful over the fact that when we die, we don't have to die and go to hell. We've lost the excitement, the enthusiasm about that. That's exactly right. Christ in you, presence. That's where some of us are at today. He's there, but it's like he isn't there. We've turned our back on him. We've walked away from him. And so much garbage is piled up in our life. He's there, but he's buried. Is that describing your life? You got Christ's presence. Oh, yeah, and he's the hope of glory. But that's all you got, Christ's presence. 
Maybe you've got Christ prominent in your life. Oh, yeah, he's the top five of your life. But can I tell you something? That's not good enough. So let me take this to a third step. Let's talk about the first-class travelers, and that's these, Christ in you, preeminence. That's what he wants. That's where he deserves to be, to be preeminent in your life. He just doesn't want to be a presence in your life. Look, can I say it like this? He don't want to be present in your life. He don't want to be a resident. He wants to be president. Hey, he just don't want to just be in your life. He wants to be not just even prominent in your life. He wants to be preeminent in your life. Listen to this. I'm going to wrap this up. Don't you listen to this. The word synonyms. Play the synonym game for the word preeminent. It means this, to be unequaled, unrivaled, unmatched, and unsurpassed. It means this, the highest, the ultimate, the dominant, the chief, the first, the paramount, the top, the ultimate, the absolute, the principle, the supreme. You say, preacher, what are you trying to tell us? I'm trying to tell you the Lord Jesus deserves to be number one in our lives. Amen. Now, if you doubt that, look at verse 18. Colossians 1, verse 18, the Bible said this, He is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now, would you please read with me, ready? That in all things He might have the... There it is. That's God's plan for your life. God's plan. Now that you're saved, if you have Christ's presence in your life, He just don't want Christ to be prominent in your life, but He wants Christ to be preeminent, number one in your life. And where Jesus is in your life will determine how you go to heaven. In other words, you can go to heaven miserable if you want to. <laughs> you can go to heaven and Jesus in the top five of your life. If that's what you want, that, you, you can travel that way. You, you can get out and push when the going gets rough. Or you can walk beside the stagecoach when you hit the hill. Or, bless God, you can put Jesus where Jesus ought to be in your life and just sit back and enjoy the ride. That's, how we, that's the choice we've got to make. It's not who. Oh, Jesus is going to get us there. He's the hope of glory. He's the guarantee of glory. We're going. But how are we going? How are you going this morning? I mean, where's he at? Oh, preacher, you know something, preacher? Man, I'll tell you what. Here's what I'm going to do. I, I'm going to, I'll tell you what. If, if nothing comes up, I'll be back tonight. That's prominent. Preacher, look, preach, let me tell you this. You know something? Y'all had hot dogs last Wednesday night. I understand you're not eating this week, but i tell you what. If I can grab a bite to eat on the way over here, I'll be here. That's prominent. You know what? Whether we have hot dogs or we don't have hot dogs. Do we have hot dogs? We had hot dogs on. Can I tell you, hot dog or no hot dog? Church for me on Wednesday night. Preeminent. He needs to be number one. And anything short of that, anything short of that, will lead to a life that is frustrating, unsatisfying, and full of misery. Where is Jesus in your life today? How are you going to heaven? Let's bow our heads. Father.